0: In 1983, one man prevented the world from nuclear annihilation. Stanislav Petrov, a Russian lieutenant colonel, was on duty at the Oko nuclear early warning system. From a glassed-in office that overlooked 200 computer operators, Petrov watched an electronic world map of American launch areas. Just above that was a walls-width screen that glowed a dull red. As long as nothing appeared on there, all was well. But. Peace never lasts forever. On September 26, 1983, the word START appeared across the screen. The US had reportedly launched five nuclear missiles. Petrov was scared he had to make the call to retaliate. But he had a gut feeling that something was wrong. The computer system was still new. The decision to strike back at the states passed through 30 layers of verification too quickly for his liking, and he had been told that if the states were to launch an attack, it would be all out. Petrov didn't have long either to make the call. There was only 25 minutes from launch to detonation and Soviet commanders would need 15 minutes to arrange their own strike. The potential to start a nuclear war essentially was coming down to him, and he needed to make a call. Trusting his gut, Petrov reported a malfunction in the computer, which turned out to be true. There was a fault in the detection system. It had been fooled by the sun's reflection off of clouds over North Dakota. Petrov went against his military training, trusting what he had learned as a civilian and refusing a direct order from his superior. He'd later go on to admit that he really wasn't sure what the right answer was. It was a 50-50 toss-up that saved the world. I'm Jacqueline Swan and this is Technality, a podcast that explores how technology is shaping our lives and the future we're heading towards. With Russia's invasion of Ukraine and growing tensions between NATO, The fear of nuclear war is becoming a reality again. As Petrov's story shows, it only takes one mistake to end the world. The more you talk, the better is actually.
1: Watch what you ask for there. Though sometimes <laughs> we can really ramble, so I'll try to keep
0: the the top line message though so clear. Meet Monica Montgomery, a research analysis for the Center for Arms Control and Nonproliferation.
1: The Center for Arms Control and
0: Nonproliferation
1: was founded in 1980. We are a U.S. based, nonpartisan nonprofit. Our mission is to seek to reduce nuclear weapons arsenals worldwide, and to halt the spread of nuclear weapons, and to minimize the risk of war, both nuclear war and conventional war, by educating the public and policymakers.
0: Essentially, they're trying to stop a nuclear apocalypse, which is an admirable goal. And Monica is an admirable woman. My research primarily focuses
1: on national security issues in the U.S. Congress and throughout the U.S. government, particularly involving issues involving nuclear modernization programs, arms control negotiations, efforts to stop the spread of nuclear weapons, so nonproliferation, and analyzing the Pentagon budget, which is a massive, nearly $1 trillion budget each year to defend the U.S. and pay for all of our defense systems.
0: Now, my mind is on the topic of MAD and nuclear weapons because of the Russia-Ukraine conflict. It's hard not to acknowledge that one nuclear superpower is only a border away from triggering a World War III with other nuclear superpowers, the United States and the UK. And Putin has threatened to use his nuclear weapons if anyone dares to step in. So of course, I had to ask Monica the obvious question. It's absolutely reasonable to fear nuclear war right now. I know that sounds pretty
1: scary to say, but it's the reality. Putin's threats to use nuclear weapons if other states intervene in the Ukraine conflict, his move to increase the alert level of Russian nuclear forces, as well as the possibility, as you say, that this conflict could spill over into NATO territory, has really brought this issue into the spotlight the risks that, of escalation that could lead to a nuclear war in Europe is real and cannot be understated. This moment shows that, possibly for the first time since the 1962 Cuban Missile Crisis, a war between Russia and NATO, including the United States, is not inconceivable, but a frighteningly real po- possibility.
0: Now, this wasn't exactly the answer I wanted to hear. I knew she wasn't going to tell me it was A-OK, but... Hearing someone whose job it is to progress the non-proliferation of nukes tell me that it's totally reasonable to fear a nuclear war right now, wasn't the most reassuring thing for my anxiety. But what would a war using nukes actually look like, assuming it didn't spill over globally?
1: There are studies that talk about a limited nuclear war just between India and Pakistan, two countries that already possess nuclear arsenals. Um, and show that the consequences would be global, widespread, massive, not only the immediate impacts of nuclear use and the deaths that would come from it, but also the long-term widespread effects that it would have on the climate, on food, and on the nuclear fallout. So, so the idea that there could be a limited nuclear war or attack that's not reciprocated and, and it'll be fine, we've averted death and destruction, Well, yeah, maybe we've averted the literal end of the world as we know it, if we used every single nuclear weapon in a strike, but there's going to be serious ramifications, consequences, long term death, cancer, radiation exposure that would come from any use of nuclear weapons. If the current fighting were to spill over into NATO territory, whether by accident, by miscalculation, or by irrational Russian aggression, then the United States and Russia, the two worlds' nuclear superpowers could very likely be in direct conflict, and nuclear use is just a step away, an unprecedented scenario in the nuclear age. While this risk is extremely low, it is not zero, and that should terrify us all.
0: Mutually assured destruction, or MAD, a purposely ironic acronym for the military strategy. It's a simple mind game, really. You launch your nukes, we'll launch ours in kind. The whole concept works on the idea of deterrence, instilling fear in your enemy that you can absolutely obliterate them if they try to do the same to you. Which, if you sit with it, is an absurd reality that we're in. We're stockpiling weapons to prevent complete annihilation that fear of mutually assured destruction of mad i needed to know if that was still in play and if that was the one thing keeping us from a certain doom
1: mad has certainly played a role i think in this current conflict a large role nuclear deterrence has part of the reason that united states has not become involved in ukraine and has made this very clear is because, first of all, Ukraine is not a member of NATO, but also because the United States and and the whole world knows that if Russia and the United States are involved in a direct conflict, it could mean not just conventional war, but nuclear war. Why MAD and nuclear deterrence is held to this day, there have been many incidents throughout history where it's been close to failing. So long as nuclear weapons are around, they will be used one day. There is this risk. The odds are not in our favor. And we have to continue to accept this and work towards disarmament, not because getting rid of nuclear weapons will then allow war to happen everywhere. Of course, that's a concern. But with with nuclear weapons continuing to exist, we're not actually establishing true peace and security.
0: Now, nuclear weapons have only been used twice in warfare on Hiroshima and Nagasaki during World War II. It's estimated that 214,000 people died as a result of the bombs. The absolute devastation of these weapons even chilled the scientists who created them to the bone. When Robert Oppenheimer, one of the lead scientists on the Manhattan Project, witnessed the first nuclear test, a piece of Hindu scripture ran through his mind. Now I am become death the destroyer of worlds. I suppose we all thought that one way or another. The absolute fear that comes from a mad scenario is real. And like what Oppenheimer said, humanity has created a weapon that could destroy itself. And only a few countries have access with even fewer people in charge of the codes. And Ukraine has none. But I'm sure you've heard they used to. You see, including Russia, 15 countries emerged from the ruins of the Soviet Union, and left behind were 3,200 strategic nuclear missiles spread between Ukraine, Belarus, and Kazakhstan. The biggest stockpile being in Ukraine. At one point, they owned the third largest arsenal. But Russia had the codes. On December 5, 1994, these three countries signed the Budapest Memorandum with Russia, the United Kingdom, and the United States. It promised that those three nuclear superpowers wouldn't threaten or use military force or economic coercion against Belarus, Kazakhstan, and Ukraine. With this agreement, the countries returned the nuclear warheads to Russia, where they were dismantled and the nuclear components were blended down to produce fuel for civilian reactors. And Monica explains why this was probably the right decision for Ukraine. This question about
1: whether Ukraine um, would be in the position it is today if it held on to the Soviet nuclear weapons that were left in its territory following the breakup of the Soviet Union at the end of the Cold War is something that we're hearing a lot. Our response to that is, Ukraine would not be the state that it is today if it held onto these nuclear weapons. And beyond that, Ukraine never actually possessed its own nuclear weapons arsenal. The the strategic bombers and the associated nuclear warheads that were left in Ukraine were still under Moscow's command and control. Ukraine did not have the ability to use the weapons nor the facilities to store and maintain them. Possibly given enough time, effort, Ukraine could have reverse engineered these weapons and and made them into an arsenal of their own, but it would have been at great expense in terms of both the economic and security aid, as well as the diplomatic support that Western nations provided to Ukraine over the years. So to say that Ukraine could be the country it is today, but with nuclear weapons is false. But it is also true that Putin's illegal invasion of Ukraine has done serious damage to the credibility of the nuclear nonproliferation regime. So we have to push back on this narrative that Ukraine would be better with nuclear weapons right now. The world has watched in great horror about nuclear weapons being involved in this conflict. Nuclear weapons have only made this conflict more scary, more existential. So imagine having Ukraine with nuclear weapons.
0: But. How is Russia's invasion of Ukraine affecting her work towards disarmament? Russia promised they wouldn't threaten Ukraine's territory in the Budapest Memorandum, and now Ukraine is alone fighting that very threat. To other countries who are looking to build their arsenal, joining a non-proliferation movement probably isn't looking too appealing. There's also
1: a few other areas of the of the conflict that are risk to the non-proliferation regime, one of them being the threat of Russia moving nuclear weapons into Belarus. It's similar to Ukraine and being a state that following the Soviet breakup of the Soviet Union, um, there were nuclear weapons on its territory that it repatriated to Russia. However, on February 27th. There was a referendum in Belarus to approve a new constitution that would remove current language, guaranteeing its neutrality and non-nuclear status, essentially opening the pathway to Russia moving nuclear weapons into Belarus' territory, which is something that both countries, both Russia and Belarus, have expressed interest in. So this remains a concern that we have to watch because... Nuclear weapons going back into a former Soviet state or to any state that is party to the NPT as a non-nuclear state is a serious threat to non-proliferation.
0: I know at this point it's been very doom and gloom, but remember what Monica is working towards and who she's working with.
1: Our, our mission is to eventually eliminate nuclear weapons. Of course, that is quite a daunting past and will take a lot of time and has taken a lot of time to just get to where we are today.
0: At the end of the interview, I asked Monica if she had a message of hope. And well, not exactly, she did give some good advice and words of encouragement.
1: I think that we have to have hope that we can move forward on disarmament, on, on proliferation and and hope that we could see major advances in our lifetime. One part of it is that we need to keep strengthening the non-proliferation regime through rigorous diplomacy with countries like Iran to, to restore the Iran nuclear deal, which we're seeing the Biden administration and other countries put in a lot of effort to right now to prevent new states from developing nuclear weapons. We need to find new and innovative ways to work with countries like North Korea that have developed nuclear weapons already to find a way to meet them at a table offer step-by-step concessions and negotiations to get them to stop developing more nuclear weapons, risk using them, and eventually disarm. We also need to work to strengthen the non-proliferation regime to prevent other states of proliferation. And most of all, we need to work towards actual disarmament. There's a lot of uh, frustration on the international level from non-nuclear weapon states towards nuclear weapon states that the commitment towards working disarmament has fallen off in recent years, or in more so in recent decades. As as I spoke about earlier, there's a serious decline from the number of nuclear weapons that the US and Russia have possessed since the end of the Cold War, throughout the Cold War. But we, as we talked about, we've now seen an uptick in nuclear modernization programs, development of tactical or non-strategic nuclear weapons that don't fall into the existing strategic nuclear arms control treaties. So, we need to push for more lowering of the existing stockpiles as our movement has been doing i think that the the moment right now with the risk of nuclear war or use in ukraine has brought this issue back to the attention of a lot of people around the world that weren't thinking about it i got a call from my dad who knows i work on nuclear weapons issue and i think share some of my concerns but he was saying wow like i was watching the news and i'm really scared i think so many people have had similar experiences going should we actually fear a nuclear war right now which is something that has been quite absent-minded since the end of the cold war um, when that felt like a daily threat so finding a way to use this moment how horrible it is and how we still stand a risk that nuclear weapons could be used if this if this conflict were to spill over into native territory or if Putin were to make the really, really irrational decision to actually use a nuclear weapon in Ukraine. Beyond that, using the moment to talk about citizens around the world are feeling about the potential for nuclear war right now. Beyond that, I think it's also important that we talk about their lives being lost daily because of nuclear weapons. U.S. nuclear testing, as well as nuclear testing by other countries, had serious health consequences and impacts on communities that surrounded these. In the United States, many of these communities were in the Marshall Islands or in the American Southwest that were exposed to nuclear radiation as a part of the above ground explosive testing that we did during the Cold War. And so many people are still facing health consequences, cancer and actual death from that use of nuclear weapons. We also see a lot of exposure to nuclear miners, uranium miners, and we see consequences of continued exposure. So nuclear weapons are taking lives today, and that's something that I think we need to continue to emphasize. And it helps us connect the movement with both the environmental movement and also the social justice movement, because a lot of these communities that are adversely affected by the production and testing of nuclear weapons are communities of colors, is another opportunity to really... Uh, reinvigorate and emphasize the need to work towards disarmament now.
0: As a citizen of the world, it's a terrifying thing to know that there are weapons that could end humanity in an instant. It's also a very absurd thought. So besides asking people to stay educated and be aware of how these weapons could affect our world, all I can really leave you on is the advice given during the Cold War about what to do if a nuclear bomb drops. And these wise words come from Bert the Turtle. Duck the
1: turtle was very alert. When danger threatened him, he never got hurt. He knew just what to do. He ducked and covered. Duck.
0: Thank you for listening to Technality. It's hosted and produced by me, Jacqueline Swan. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want more content about where our future is going, head over to Technology's YouTube page.